Hey man, you see where we are, so you have to know what it is. Welcome back to the Being Black with BSAC podcast. Did I say Being Black? I meant the Black. I keep doing that. The Black with BSAC podcast. Can I get a round of applause? Damn. I promise you, it is the Black with BSAC podcast, not the Being Black with BSAC. I'm going to stop doing that. I did it last episode. I will never do it again. I promise you guys. But do me a favor. If you haven't already, pause the video right now, pause the recording, whatever, wherever you're listening, and uh, go listen to episode one. Uh, we talked, we had a great discussion last week, and I'm looking forward to this, another great discussion this week. I mean, this is an action-packed episode, and I have a new crew with me, so I'm going to kick it to them. They can introduce themselves, starting with the lovely Kennedy. Hi, my name's Kennedy. I am a third-year student at the University of Ottawa co-president of the BSAC with Daniel, and I'm a member of the women's track and field team. Salut, mon nom c'est Brigitte, et je fais ma sixième année à l'Université d'Ottawa, je, je fais ma maîtrise en gestion, et je fais partie de l'équipe de basketball féminine à l'Université d'Ottawa aussi. Hi there, um, my name is Kylie Soro, I'm the full-time assistant coach of the women's volleyball program. I was also a student back in the day at the University of Ottawa and now currently a part-time prof. Mm. Cool, thanks, thanks. <laughs> Snaps already. Snaps already. Uh, hi, I'm Candy. I'm currently a support assistant for the BSLA, which is the Black Student Leaders Association, and I just graduated in Biomed. Wow. Nice. I did not know that, Snaps. <laughs> Biomed? My sister was in Biomed, so anyone that says they graduated in that, I gotta give them props. All right, Candy. Candy's actually the reason that I'm so excited for this episode. I mean, we've been trying to get in contact with the BSLA and have a collaboration on something for a while now, so it's very exciting for me to have them uh, represented here today. Um, BSLA does a lot of good work on, on campus, and uh, we, we like to kind of do our thing and they do their thing, but it's nice to have two black associations collaborate for sure. So I'm gonna kick it to Candy to talk a little bit more about what the BSLA does and then we'll kind of get the thing rolling with everything else. Yeah, I mean, this has been a long time coming for a collab for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, so BSLA is one of those organizations on campus, one of the oldest ones actually on U Ottawa that's main goal is to connect the black community amongst each other. So we're kind of the central organization that a lot of the other uh, black associations like go to for advice and things like that but also we run our own community organization stuff uh, mainly our focus is improving the environment on uo for black students as much as we can whether that be through advocacy on one-on-one -on -one cases or uh generally taking on the actual administration mm -hmm. uh, which we'll be getting into we'll be getting into that we're gonna get into that so um yeah i mean candy kind of Gave you all a little sneak peek of what we're going to be talking about today. But before we get into the real, I mean, if you were on social media in the year 2020 during COVID, while everything was shut down, there was a lot going on on the internet surrounding <laughs> the University of Ottawa and their relations with, I mean, black people, whatever was going on. But we'll get into that. There's a time and a place for that. We're going to start the discussion today. I mean, the title for today is Being Black in Academia. So, um, I mean, I'm sure we've all had our different experiences being black, wherever we're from, wherever we grew up. I mean, being in elementary, high school, whatever it was, um, being black in academia. I mean, it's, it's a different experience for everybody, depending on where you grew up. 
um, and who you are. So that's that's the topic for today. We'll start talking about our personal experiences uh, being black in academia, and I'll get the ball rolling. So I talked about this a little bit last week where I'm from. I was born in Nigeria, uh, grew up in, in Katy, Texas. Uh, then I moved here. Y'all didn't believe me when I said I was from Katy, Texas, but I really, <laughs> I promise you I grew up there. I have pictures, evidence. <laughs> you could just hit my line and I'll show you. But uh, yeah, man, it was, uh, it was definitely different. Um, when I moved to the States, obviously I'm fresh off the boat Nigerian. So kids are making fun of me because of that, because I had an accent or whatever, and I pronounce words differently. I remember actually one time, this is kind of a side, like I've, it's not really... This scarred me, I'm not gonna lie. I, I was about to say it's not really that important, but it is, it scarred me. So we're reading something and I was good at reading, but there were certain words that if I say it, like I, have, I had a Nigerian accent. So if I said it in my Nigerian accent, and if I said it in an American accent, they were different. So it was a particular word. The word was flour, as in like the substance you used to bake, right? And it's spelled F-L-O-U-R. So phonetically, it's not supposed to be pronounced flower, right? Correct. So I'm Nigerian. I'm like six years old, maybe less, five. And I'm reading and I get to the word and I said floor. And everyone pauses and I pause because I'm like, I know I just messed that up. <laughs> and everyone bursts out laughing. I'm like, damn. <laughs> and I'm, bro, I was fresh off the boat, African type thing. And I, I already don't know if that many people, everyone's laughing at me because I said the wrong thing, but damn, that thing hurt. And I still remember it to this day. It's been almost 20 years. Uh, that's about two decades. And it's something <laughs> that I think about quite often. Anyways, I've had a, like more experiences than that, but that's just the one that sticks out to me the most. Um, yeah, growing up and being black in school, I think a lot of people like just, even my teachers like assumed I was stupid. Um, and also cause I was like a, like, a bad kid like I was trying to make people laugh and trying to have fun and joke around and stuff but I never like my because of my parents and because of my upbringing I never like I couldn't mess around on tests and mess around on homework like I had to be straight with that but I was cool with that but I was just always trying to make people laugh and have fun so because of that kind of attitude I had a lot of my teachers thought I was stupid so just the way they interacted with me, with me was a little bit different and at that time there was I'm not sure if they still do it how elementary schools are but they had like special classes for like the the i think they called like attitude whatever something mm -hmm. like that um and then they had the regular classes and they were like talking to my parents about putting me in the attitude classes type thing i'm like damn like i'm doing good in school like it's not like i'm doing bad in school like it's not like i'm dumb but yeah. they just wanted to put me in that you know what i'm saying that different situation and i'm not saying it's because i was black but i think that might have contributed to it i mean i was one of not many black kids in a in a predominantly white school and predominantly predominantly white environment so i mean all through that this is in the states all through that it's kind of you kind of start getting the feel and then i moved to uh to ottawa and i went to middle school here and a lot of my friends were like troublemakers type thing like we all just i don't know trouble we were making trouble whatever and but i'm still straight with school like i'm always doing well in school one of my first teachers in grade six he's treating me like I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not smart. Like, he talks to me a little bit different before he saw, like, anything I did academically. Yeah. And then he saw what I was doing academically, and he's like, oh, this, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, his, yeah. yeah, so his perception of me clearly was skewed. So then, um, 
I had a conversation with him at one point because like the, my boys, they're not doing well academically, but I am. And he's like, oh, maybe you just need to change your crowd and like change the people you hang out, like type thing, thing like that. I'm like, damn, like, is that what it is for real? That it's like, just because, I mean, all the black kids are most comfortable with each other. Um, and this is like my school, my middle school was like multicultural. There was a lot of different cultures. I would say white was probably the least represented in my middle school. But yeah, he was like, maybe you just need to change your crown. I, I understand like teachers are trying to look out for you and things like that. But anyways, that's a bitty, pretty long-winded version of, uh, <laughs> of my experiences. Those are the things that just stick out to me. I, I like, so I always found myself having to like prove myself in high school and university because of the experiences I had growing up with teachers doubting my academic ability. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my little spiel uh, of my experiences in, in being black in academia. Uh, open it up to y'all. Anyone want to follow suit? No, well, I like the topic of how they've separated classes. So, I grew up in two. I grew up in two different provinces. Um, I was born in Norway. Pa family Whoa. relocated to Norway. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, uh, immigrants. Yes. Um, no, I, we relocated to Vancouver because my mom's side is from Vancouver. Um, there's a very small French community there, and because my dad's from La Côte d'Ivoire, he wanted us to keep speaking French, so we went to a French school. I think there was a total of 600 kids from kindergarten to grade 12. We had a graduating class of two. None of them graduated. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was like my grade eight, you know? And um, of course, like, I had my, my two black friends and like my siblings, but uh, quite a bit younger. Um, and I'm not a troublemaker as a human, uh, but they kind of just assume that we just get off to class and laugh in the back for mm -hmm. the most part. Um, but again, my grades were, were solid, um, but the eye-opener, my main eye-opener was moving to then Ottawa where I got, I got to go, like I really loved my high school experience, not a lot of people can say that, it was an art school, but you saw a lot, like I was able to go to a school that was kind of right, it's, it's right beside here, so De La Salle, um, but it's a mix of like uptown kids, lower town kids, kids like art kids kids that are sporty um so we had a really mi like really mixed school but also it was probably like 30 to 40 percent black um and within that we had our programme de douance so like yeah. the excellence um your regular students and then your like like you need assistance yeah. um classes and it was i i was kind of friends with everyone and noticing how my black friends who were in the excellence classes were like, oh, like, I'm excellent, but I don't want to be because, like, my my black friends who are in the regular, like, that's cool. Yeah. Like, what I'm doing is not cool. Yeah. Um, and that was that was sad realizing that afterwards because I'm like, you want to be a neuroscientist and you're like, you're top of your league, but like, you can't hang out with your homies or you downplay yeah. it because yeah. you're not proud of like oh that's not how regular black folk yeah. are supposed to be like you hang with the white yeah. kids mm -hmm. um because the vision of white is, equates like success uh -huh. and i hate that yeah. uh, and we generalize it we do it a lot with young black kids in high school um and so that was sad to kind of realize afterwards like oh no like 
we should all be striving for that and the yeah. fact that they they think that they've got to like dumb it down to fit in and like or play sports more or not like go study like those nuances were really really like obvious in high school mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah. i could definitely relate to that last part about the honors kids not really wanting to be that because mm-hmm. that was sort of me uh i went to two different high schools in quebec uh, my first one was an all-girls high school and there like i was pretty much middle of the road like i wasn't bad but i wasn't excellent mm-hmm. um and i had black friends there so i was like ah, this is good and we were all in the same grade and we're the only black people there <laughs> and before that my sister had gone to that high school and so like people knew about us and there was racism there but it wasn't like i had a crew yeah. so i didn't feel so alone yeah. uh, and then i guess in solar cats which is grade 10 grade 10 i think um, uh, I changed schools to go to a elite private school. Oh, she said elite. <laughs> no. um, so like, it was an English school, and the previous school before that was French. And my parents wanted me to brush up on my English because I knew I wasn't going to go to university in French. I wanted mm. to switch back into the English system, so they wanted to make sure that like I wasn't losing that. So that's why I switched to that school. And there, I was the only black kid in my grade and one of four black kids in the school yeah. um and in that environment i felt an intense need to prove myself to like all my teachers all the time i was constantly like under immense amounts of stress i was doing so much i had a crazy schedule because i was a day student at a boarding school and so i was there until the middle of the night sometimes i was the stage manager i was on two sports teams i did ballet still i was i was all over the place trying to prove myself to everyone and in the end i felt so inadequate Mm because it didn't feel like i was down with the folks you know like all my friends that because i still stayed in the same town but like all my friends were in these other schools and they were or surrounded by people who are like them yeah. and here I am in this elite school <laughs> surrounded by these like rich people and their rich families and yeah. the only other people who are from my town who were in that school most of them were there on hockey scholarships and so they look at me and they assume okay so you're here on a sports scholarship and it's like actually no I'm, <laughs> I'm not here on the sports scholarships surprisingly i'm here on the science scholarship and it's like even that made me less cool to the non-black people i was surrounded by it's like they expected me to be like some sort of top athlete and that's why i'm here but like me just being a nerd was not enough Uh in that way so like i can definitely relate to wanting to dumb yourself down Mm -hmm. but i also had the background of like my african parents saying like yeah you know like you we gave you an opportunity to be here we got ourselves off this boat into this country for you it's for you we had a good life back home we're here for you and you hear that a lot right i didn't have to leave but i left (laughs) and like i think about it and i think of the pictures they show us of our home back home and i'm like yeah so why did we leave you know and to bring back to your point about um 
your teachers telling you not to hang around the wrong crowd. I had my parents telling me that you don't let your friends choose you. You choose your friends. Mm -hmm. I heard that all the time growing up and it became like a really big mantra in the back of my head. I was Uh like, are you someone that I can be friends with? Are you going to be able to help me achieve in life? Like birds of a feather flock together. Are you the kind of bird I want to be around? And like, that's, mad because like i should be allowed to feel like everyone else but here i am doing insane social status interaction visions like yeah. i you know those movies where they have that scene of that person who's like big grid putting <laughs> things together that was me in yeah. my everyday social interactions just making sure that like i understood everything which it helped in my ei like my emotional intelligence is mm-hmm. very high yeah. because it had to be and not because like I got to develop it in a natural way, right? It just it became like a coping mechanism because I went from a place where I had background support that knew me to a place where I was like, step back, you have to overachieve and simultaneously look like you're not trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's like a really weird place to put a 14, 15 year old girl, right? It gave multiple personality. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. The thing is, we're like, we're young going through this, you know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. not like, like you're old, when you're older, you have like a better sense of who you are type thing, but you're in high school, middle school, don't know who you are, and you have all these forces on top of the stress of being a student, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, and a lot of times being an athlete. You hooped in, in high school, I'll do all that. So how is like playing basketball? Cause I know like we look at basketball as like a black, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So how was like hooping and going to school and all that growing up type thing? Well, going to school, uh, I'll just go back to elementary school because mm-hmm. as I've been reflecting to just my past and everything, it's just, there's a bunch of stuff that just, you know, just keep popping up, especially after like 2020 mm-hmm. and you just, you just talk and you realize so many things that you just you lived and um in elementary school i remember like my mom was really on me to just get good grades and i wanted to get good grades all the time and um but then when i would receive my report card get c's c plus but what um, every one of my papers and ex- or like exams i would have like a plus or 96 90 blah blah but my report card would never reflect what i got on my test and my mom would bring me to like those teachers conference like and she was just asking the prof like what what's happening she has my whole like binder of all my exams and all the proof okay this is the those are the grades that she's been receiving i have it here why is why is the report card not reflecting that because it was important for me to have good grades on my report card for high school because I wanted to go to an international high school or yeah. private high school. Yeah. So, yeah. so for university, whatever, I was thinking yeah. about, well, my mom was yeah. thinking about my future. <laughs> I was too, I was really invested. And uh, the profs never had answers. They, they, they could never 
they can never say anything, they can never explain. And there was just one time, um, my mom was talking to other people at school and it was something about funding. Because I was in a school that was very multicultural. I was in a neighborhood that was, there's a lot of, of, of black kids, of people from everyone, you know, white wasn't the majority in the school. And it was a poor elementary school. Um, and the, to receive funding, we weren't allowed to have oh, good, good grades. grades. Yeah. Oh, that's bad to say. So wow, that's just like it represents also, you know, it's the system. The it's exactly. It's like it's more than just biases within like profs. It's like even the system doesn't want us to succeed as a such a young age. Yeah. And it's cool. it's great. Like I was able to succeed regardless, but yeah, so that's probably one of that's my crazy. I yes. thought like yeah. I've heard about that in movies and stuff, like where they're like, Oh, let's keep the grades down so we can keep getting funding or yeah. whatever, but yeah. I've never like I've never heard of that like actually happening in real life. So that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, like it's pretty similar to in CIGEP, the idea of our scores. Like they're mm -hmm, also dependent yeah. on where that CIGEP is from, yes. where it's located. Yeah. Yes. And it's the same sort of systematic, yes. systematic problem mm -hmm. of yeah. if you're from a town that's majoritarily ethnic, mm -hmm. your R scores will be lower even if you higher performed than another school. Yeah. Like just wow. because of where yeah. your school is. Yeah. So like but this is Quebec. Yeah. Okay, you got uh, any experiences you would like to share? Yeah. So I grew up in Mississauga, so I grew up in the suburbs. Um and my biggest experience uh being black in school I was definitely called an Oreo at a very young age. Damn, doing that. <laughs> and I, at first, like, I never really, like, understood what it meant. And then I remember distinctly, like, having a conversation with my mom, being like, hey, mom, like, black kids are, like, calling me an Oreo. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. And then we, like, had to have, like, a very, not uncomfortable, but, like, disheartening conversation mm -hmm. about it. Um, where she was like, well, Kennedy, like, this is your personality. It's just how you were born. Like, you just got to keep doing, like, exactly what you're doing. Like, don't try to change for, like, anyone else. Um, but I can definitely relate to Candy and kind of, like, the overall sentiment of feeling like you have to overachieve. Um, I was basically the exact same way in, like, middle school and high school. Like, I had ridiculous amounts of volunteer hours in middle school. Like, I basically could have written that requirement off, like, when I was, like, 12. You're one of those. <laughs> I feel like there was two types of students. There was students like you and there was students like me. I had to get my volunteer hours. Like, yo, if you don't get these hours, you're not finna graduate. No. And I was like, before graduation, I had to get those hours. Like, I think I finished like my high school with like a thousand plus volunteer hours. Like, it was actually it was actually insane. Um, so like middle school, I was on like a bunch of I was on the athlete council. I was on the music council. I and then I went to a school. Shout out Applewood Heights. Um, <laughs> they had like the uh, the sports program, which actually got me into rugby. So if I didn't do that, then I wouldn't play rugby, and I would end up here. Um, life's so funny. <laughs> and so um, that school, it was pretty like multicultural, but I would definitely say like the it was predominantly white, but. Um, I had that same general experience of like feeling like I had to overachieve and that kind of carried over into like my first and second year. By third year, I feel like I kind of got it together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like general sentiment of like you have to overachieve and 
I never had any black teachers. Um, so like that didn't, yeah. So I didn't really have like that mentorship to like tell me like how to do this. But we did, we did have a black like. It was kind of what you were saying about like the behavioral like room or yeah. something. Yeah. That was the only time that I saw like a black like professional in like school, and I have my own feelings about it. But I feel like it did a great disservice for the black people who were there because they kind of just used it as a room to like goof off and like mm. kind of like avoid responsibility like it was just like oh, i'm just gonna go to miss jones's room and then like they wouldn't learn how to like actually deal with how they were feeling mm. they would yeah. just go to the room and then like the, like it was kind of like a teacher just like throwing you away it's like another person um and so like it was kind of uncomfortable like in those spaces where I was like, well, these are like my friends because most of them were athletes. So I would like hang out with them and I'm like, these are my friends. But I'm also like, well, I'm not going into this room because like <laughs> my mom will beat my ass. Yeah. Like, sorry, but she will. Um, and so I feel like being black in academia is just the way I summarize it generally is like you always have to think about something else. You never get to just be a student. Yeah. You always have like another weight on your shoulder and like that's a lot to carry at like yeah. six, seven years old and then carry it for the rest of your life and then you have no black teachers to talk about this and most of us are like first generation so you can't really explain it to your parents because like they don't really get it mm -hmm. because they were not black students in Canada. Like they don't get it. So you just kind of feel like you're wandering through the space alone yeah and it's tough because i feel like a lot of it in high school at least has a direct impact on like your your friend group mm -hmm. which yeah. is really essential to like your growth who you are especially if you're trying to figure things out in high school so the fact that it's so highly attached to like who you hang out with what makes you cool and, and you can't just let it be its own yeah. Like, yeah. entity which it's supposed to be yeah academics um so I wonder what life would be like if you didn't have the pressures of like, oh, if I get an A+, plus, this is the category of friends yeah. that I can be and things yeah. that I can do. If I get a C+, plus, yeah. then maybe it's different. Like, it's just like, it's also like perception. Like, people interact <laughs> with you differently based on how they perceive. So like, you get an A+, plus, you hang out with this category of people. Yeah. Okay, but he's a black guy surrounded by other black guys, and I know that guy's not smart. So they all collectively must be... Like, yeah, right. They lumps on you into exactly, it. and that's like that's just black experience generally. That's mm -hmm. not even just in academia. That's just in life type thing. You know what I'm saying? So I think uh, Kennedy touched on a good point, and Bridget as well, just in terms of the like the systemic aspect of it, and then also the lack of representation at the level of professors. Like, okay, mm -hmm. if I don't have any black teachers or black professors, I don't know if that's attainable. Mm -hmm. um, it's also an opportunity thing. Okay. Are black professors and teachers getting equal opportunities to white ones? There's a lot uh, in that discussion <laughs> to unpack. And you know what I'm saying? We could be here all day. But I think uh, to keep things moving along and to get to the real nitty gritty. <laughs> I've been waiting all, all week for this one, to be honest. Uh, uh, so just to give some context to, to the next little bit of our discussion. Like I said before, if you were on social media, if you had a phone in 2020, um, around the time of the George Floyd murder and all that drama that was going on and all the like the outrage and I think social justice kind of became like trendy type mm -hmm. thing for that period of time. And there was just a lot going on. And 
Um, amidst that, locally, there was some drama as well. So um, there was an incident at the University of Ottawa uh, where a professor used the N-word in, in class in September of 2020. Now, <laughs> that is a, that's a specific incident that represents a much larger discussion that's kind of been ongoing and had been going on. I remember it had been like already a topic of discussion type thing, okay. but the timing and everything, it was just the perfect storm. So she says the N-word in class and um, a student reports it or it made her uncomfortable type thing. I mean, rightfully so. And this whole big thing unfolds and people are saying it's academic integrity and protecting the right of the, and all this stuff. And um, there was, she, the professor was suspended by the university and there was a petition signed by 34 professors at the University of Ottawa um, that were pretty much backing her and saying that um, not allowing her or punishing her for that is infringing on her rights to um, academic integrity or freedom or I'm not exactly sure the words they used, but it was something of that, of that um, caliber. So, our, okay. <laughs> okay, so from there, there was like a whole thing that happened and there was a whole lot of outrage and a whole lot going on. And um, different parties had different experiences with that whole experience. And uh, um, the BSLA was actually doing a lot of good work at that time. And they spearheaded the, the you racism discussion and everything was going on. So I'm gonna slide this one so, <laughs> so happily over. I'm gonna give her the assist, throw it a hoop, and she's gonna catch it and slam dunk it. Cause it was crazy. I mean, yeah. Candy, it Let me get some wild. tea. I need some tea and I need it piping hot. I need <laughs> I need some. Tell me some. So like I've had a lot of roles at BSLA through my three years there. Um, but this was my first year as an exec on BSLA and I was the VP internal. Nice. And so I was basically in charge of keeping the team together, but I was also the big press release person. So whenever there was something that we needed to write that was like had an impact, email, stuff like that. That was me. Um, and one day in our BSLA group WhatsApp, uh, <laughs> we get a screenshot given to us of a tweet that was oh. released. And this was the tweet, the original tweet of the student's email interaction with uh, the prof yeah. involved. And we were all like, oh, <laughs> you want to have done it again? <laughs> um, I actually, before we shot this, I went back into the group chat to see like exactly nice. what the rundown was. But it was basically uh, the entire team was looking at the screenshot. We're like, so how are we? How are we going to support the student? What can we do? Um, yeah. We went straight into gear on like what can BSLA do uh, in this incident, and it really snowballed very quickly. Uh, because the initial tweet uh, was more a rebuke of the prof's response to the incident than it was the actual use of the word. And I think a lot of people like context matters in the case of uh, the academic integrity and academic freedom discussion. Um, and a lot of the context behind the entire situation was lost. Mm -hmm. So I feel the need to actually clear this once and for all. Please, once and uh, for all. <laughs> so what Clear. we were informed at BSLA, the discussion had happened was a prof used the N-word in class, but it's not like they were reading a book. It's not like they were saying it off of a line. 
Um, it was in the context of the word being reclaimed in the same way the word queer has been reclaimed by the LGBTQ plus community. Mm -hmm. And I think I can speak for almost everyone in this room by saying that that is simply inaccurate of the way the word itself has been reclaimed by the community. Mm -hmm. And so in that aspect alone, the teacher should have gotten some rebuke on that fact okay. because the fact that I can say queer in this com in this conversation mm -hmm. and it not offend anyone directly, it did not cause immense trauma on the first hit and that I am still saying the N-word in the same conversation mm -hmm. demonstrates that there obviously hasn't been the same level of reclamation in and of itself. So from that point, we were like, hey, what is going on? Um, and I think the main problem that a lot of us had was the prof's response to the teacher saying, hey, I'm uncomfortable with your use of this word. It seemed like the prof wanted a debate to come forth from this. And I don't know the exact demographics of the classroom, mm -hmm. but knowing you, Ottawa, as a whole, um, most likely the student was one of a few black students, if any other at all. Um, and debating your humanity and existence yeah. to a classroom full of people who won't necessarily understand that and to your prof who will be grading your papers uh, <laughs> yeah. seems like an unfair vantage point. It's not equal footing yeah. and it's unfair and um, disingenuous mm -hmm. to put a student in that position. So that's sort of where BSLA took it from and that's where we went and we started writing the call to action, organizing the racism event. A big shout out to Jen and Yanamina who were the presidents at the time. Those girlies killed it yeah, on this yeah. whole thing. Um, Being the president at that time, that's a, that's it a was wild. And they were going war to war with the administration. <laughs> they I was really were. They were calling out Fremont by name. I said, <laughs> yeah, and funnily enough, the week before we had gotten that tweet sent to us, mm -hmm. uh, we had actually had the town hall discussion, because behind the scenes, not a lot of people know this, but uh, BSLA was contacted directly to be part of like these town hall discussions with the admin mm -hmm. behind the scenes about what we can do about changing the racism, I guess, at U Ottawa. <laughs> um, and these conversations were unproductive. Our opinions were not being taken into consideration. So that week, I had actually sent out an email saying that BSLA is going to withdraw from this because we refuse to be part of a performative action of the university yeah. to just pretend like they're solving the problem by mm -hmm. having uh, our names associated to these organizations. So all of that was like a perfect form of chaos uh, that ensued at the university and I feel like we handled it as best we could and I'm honestly very proud of the entire team and everyone who was involved in racism and the black community as a whole on campus because it was one of the first times that I've seen us really band together on a pretty united front yeah. and it became a story bigger than just the university. Mm -hmm. And recently, every year I come back to the school and there's always something else about this case that comes in, like the report came out that they had on the academic 
integrity mm-hmm. like on the review yeah. i read it front to back and i have opinions <laughs> <laughs> um as well as recently i saw that the prof in question might be suing the school mm-hmm. for yes. damaging their reputation yeah. so there's this story is still ongoing and i think it's an important discussion that we're having today mm-hmm. because it really was the catalyst for this discussion on academic integrity, mm-hmm. academic freedom, and why it makes it so uncomfortable for black students to um, be in higher levels of academia. Yeah. Like, yeah. Can I just say, best we could is a severe understatement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you handle that with so much yeah. grace and just so much, like a, such a high level of organization that like, I think BSAC really took from that yeah. and like really appreciated and wanted to like implement as best as we could okay. into our program and just the way you guys ran everything and like the protests in Tabaret was just absolutely superb. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah, no, I, we got a snap for the BSLA <laughs> for real because now it was crazy and I think another thing, another incident that was kind of, I don't want to say underlining, but it was happen, ca- happening kind of concurrently was... Um, there was a student on campus and he was like detained for like hours yeah. for not having a student card yeah. to prove he was a student. And I was, bro, when I read that, I was in shock because I'm like, first of all, why this period of time wow. would you as a white man who's working, uh, what do they call it, protection? Yeah. yeah. Choose to card. I've never heard anyone being carded and saying prove you go to Ottawa. that was the Ever. second incident by the way where that was the yeah. second carding incident That's at Ottawa to specifically a black student yeah in the last like my first year when i came in there was another incident yeah of the same thing before so i'm like yo why i didn't i just didn't understand it you know what i'm saying and then that's going on concurrently with this thing going on and i'm like you was getting a bad rap for being and rightfully so because they were fumbling the bag fumbling all types of bags treating us unfairly like and uh, there was outrage and i was i was really proud at that moment to be like associated with the bsac that's when i first got in is around that time and i was like because i was like yo something has to we got to do something you know what i'm saying we can't just sit idly by while this is going on and that's when the bsac was kind of i think we had kind of started a little bit before that and then that's when i got involved and we were having sit downs with administration and we had a meeting with the uh, uh, president and the vp especially considering what was the tears and i could not so we were there's two, there's, it's, two, it's a two-parter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's a two-parter. I only got that second hand, to be honest, because yeah. from what I understood, BSLA was not invited to the table. Uh-huh. Yes. So it's a two-parter. We were struggle sisters. <laughs> Basically. So BSAC was starting, you know, just like a young, ambitious, like barely 18-year-old Kennedy was like, we got to fix this. Like, this is not it. Um, and it kind of touches on like being black in academia because I felt like Uadwa was only using black athletes as just like posters yes. and not really understanding that we're in academia first mm-hmm. and we're not just athletes, but we also have 
brains. Oh my God. Like what a shocker here. Um, and so like we had like meetings at my house. It was like so cute. And then, <laughs> um, and then this happens. And so we ended up going to Tabaret for like the sit-in protests that mm -hmm. were happening. Um, it was like kind of like our first BSAC, like United Front thing that we were doing. Um, and like other student athletes came as well. But we had a meeting with the administration set, was it a month before? Yeah. It was about a month. It might have been a couple months. months. Yeah, a couple, a couple months, months before. Um, and so, obviously, <laughs> God's great timing, um, our meeting landed in the same time that Eurasism was having their sit-in protest. And yeah. so... We go to this meeting. I think we did the meeting in Tabaret. Yeah. No, no, it was online. It was virtual. Zoom. It was Zoom. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, I think... Did, didn't we join the meeting in Tabaret? Were you guys doing at the protest? And I think... BSAC yeah. members did go to the protest. Yeah, I think I... No, no, I was, I was at home. At the protest. Okay, so yeah, I think I, was, I think I was in Tabaret, like, while, like, in this meeting. Yeah. And so we have this meeting, okay. Um, it's unproductive, like they all are. Um, I, I, that's me saying this. Wait, not this, that saying this. This is, the, <laughs> this is me. This is the meeting that you shed, tears were shed? No, no, no. no, 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 no. You were there. It's the first, the first meeting. The first okay. meeting where we're like, we're so hopeful. We have so much energy. Yeah. We think we're going to change the world. Mm -hmm. We're meeting with the men. Yes, okay, it's been booked for like two <laughs> months now. They're going to listen to us. We're dumb. <laughs> but whatever, we have all like, we have speeches, we're like all planned, it's all like we are gonna go dress nice because we want them to take us seriously. We have everyone is I think we practiced. planned for like two weeks. We, it was like yeah, we formal presentation. Okay, who's gonna say what and yeah, yeah. it was interrupted. Yeah. Yes, totally. we wanted to be perfect because we wanted them to take us seriously. We wanted to get change and we were like, okay, if you want change we have to be inside. We need to have like connection, we need to build something, so yeah. maybe they'll listen to us. But I will speak for myself. Bridget, you can like answer this question. I felt like that entire meeting was very patronizing. Yes. Do you share this? Okay, we share the same sentiment. And so we went to this meeting, it got accomplished, and then we see a tweet come <laughs> out from one of the VPs, I won't say who, um, tweeted saying, like, so glad that we were able to meet with our black student athlete leaders. I'm so excited for change, blah 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 while other black leaders are sitting in it had been like in three days like sitting yeah like sitting in a cold building like protesting and then you like put out this tweet and then i remember thinking thank goodness we do not have a name because yeah. people were tweeting us like being like people were hating, yeah, on, they were us. hating on us they were like why are they meeting with these but athletes? So. Rightfully so. so. Yeah. They're like, why are they meeting with these athletes? They don't know Rightfully so, they were hating on us? But, be, but like, because of the timing. Because of the timing. Yeah. Yeah. It looks, it looks bad. Like, it looks I can speak from the outside bad. view yeah. here, especially considering BSLA was not given a seat at the table. Exactly. And like, we were the main protesters. And the way that tweet came out, because we didn't know about your organization, yes. we didn't know that there was going to be a prior meeting. Yeah. So to us, it was a giant slap in the face. Exactly. It was like, you Ottawa is taking their token black students, putting them up on a poster again. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it was giving, we're talking to people, so now 
you can't be mad at us yeah. but it was like you're not talking yeah. to the people but that have been asking for your attention yeah. i feel like her her intention i'm not even playing devil's advocate i'm just saying like there this was is, no this is her tweet. thought process oh everyone's mad we just had a meeting it was so productive yeah. yeah here you guys go take this you know what i'm saying like oh we're doing something something's being done that's what she was trying to do and it was just incredibly tone deaf which is how these things go you feel what i'm saying like they're like oh take this and they don't really know what's what going on what's like and we're like I, when i seen the, the reaction i was like damn like she couldn't have chosen a worse collection of words yeah. to yeah. say what she was trying to say because i'm like yo like these people have been bro they were sleeping on the floor of tabaret yeah. i don't know if you've yeah. been in tabaret but tabaret is not the newest building we have that giant is a little bit musty a little bit crusty you feel what i'm saying so it's like they were sleeping on the floor for three days and then she goes yeah i just met with the black leaders things are going moving whatever she tweeted i'm like damn yeah, this is incredibly and younger. there had been no prior tweet since like 2015 like she hadn't this, yeah this person just did not she know was, the timing was, but also like to, to speak on this three-day thing there was also like people off the street coming in to protest against the BSLA. Yes. I remember it not yeah. being a safe space yeah, for a student. Like, you're actually getting threats from mm -hmm. white men. I remember seeing two white I men coming in. Yeah, I remember. And, like, actually forcefully protesting against them, like, saying stuff, comments. Where was security? Do you really care about anybody on your campus mm -hmm. at, at this point? And you're sitting in the same office, like, your office, the 70 kids that are staying here for three days, sleeping overnight, mm -hmm. and you don't have the decency to tweet to them, respond to them. And it's crazy because it's like... still. <laughs> to the like, Okay, part of... We're talking about a... This is a, an institution. Like, this is an academic institution. And the primary function... I mean, damn near its only function is to provide education to a huge population of people. Part of being able to receive, to be receptive to being educated and things like that is feeling safe. Yeah. You're listening to the cries of a huge demographic within that population that you're responsible for saying, we don't feel safe. And then you proceed to ignore those cries and then i think it's worse than ignoring like if we're being honest this was deliberate yeah because if it was just they didn't notice us and they're ignoring us that's that's one thing but this was a deliberate intention mm -hmm. of wearing us down by purposefully ignoring our cries by looking at us straight in our face and pretending we are not there it was neglect actually mm. that's how the system the works yeah. that's how it works it's so, you're, you're, you're the... always tired and you stop yeah. and then you because you don't want to fight anymore because you're always getting pushed back mm. and then you, nothing gets done. so then nothing gets done and they get what they want yeah that's, that's they're, they're that's fighting the to protect academic freedom for the professors but we're talking about real deal freedom for your students you feel what i'm saying so it's like yeah. well who are the people funding this like i'm sorry Un de nos sources de, 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 de revenus, c'est nos, nos étudiants internationaux. Oh, yeah. Mm. And what? 80% from French African countries? Yeah. Excuse me? Now you want to exploit that and use that as recruiting tools, yeah. but you can't even 
Tell, tell them they're they're protected. Mm -hmm. Touching on that French thing is very important too mm -hmm. because uh, this was a class that happened in French, mm -hmm. and it very quickly also turned into an anglophone versus francophone debate and that in and of itself was insulting to the black francophone students as if we couldn't have existed as mm. if that intersection is not, not there mm. um especially going back to uh earlier i said i read that report front to back uh, a big chunk of it is devoted to uh the anglo-franco debate here, that's here yeah, at that at the University of Ottawa that imploded from the scenario mm -hmm. and it was just insulting to see a big portion of this so-called academic integrity report focus on the cyberbullying of profs and the oh hatred God. towards the francophone community in Ottawa and it was just not acknowledging the intersectionality of your students that you purposefully go to these countries have specific grants towards black francophone students mm -hmm. and you don't acknowledge their existence on your campus is sort of wild yeah, of like that's a crazy di dichotomy of mm -hmm. like you are simultaneously recruiting us mm -hmm. but also forgetting we're here and it was just like it was wild it's the business and it's, it's really deeper than, like, it gets just deeper and deeper. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's just, like, no matter how far we go, it's always, there's always something going on, like, beneath the service. You know what I'm you saying? You know, it took us how long, like, BSAC, we had a fight to get one social media post that just said, oh, we oh. stand alongside the black community yeah. because that, we are black. That took, like, Yo, I be forgetting. There's so much that's stuff. True. That's true. Like, yeah. That's what got me into be helping BSAC because yeah. I was like, oh, I'm finally in an administrator role, and I've made my connections yeah. enough within like our staff that I could push a few things mm. for the student athletes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's exhausting. It took like for one post. Like, how small on the scale of actually influencing anything mm -hmm. is, like, one post on GG, like, on you all of us. It took us, like, two months. Yeah. And three different templates. And they just posted, yeah. like, some basic ass, like, text on a... On, yeah. like, a just, burgundy yeah. background. I, like, just touch on that. Well, two things. Yes, everything was just very slow. And it goes to what you were saying. It's just a tactic to wear us down. Mm -hmm. Because, obviously, I can't assume what people are thinking. But how I received it was just like, oh, these student athletes are going to get tired of this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, eventually, sports are going to come back, practice is going to come back, and they're just going to kind of forget about this whole, like, social justice thing. So if we just, like, keep pushing them off and, like, making things slow, then, like, eventually they'll just stop. And then eventually they realized that we're not like that. Mm -hmm. um, so then they had to kind of start taking it seriously. But I remember... Those BLM shirts that you guys love to see us wear, like for like our games and our warm-ups and whatever, Sam's smiling at me right now. <laughs> I <laughs> want to go on record and say that there was a whole other template. Am I allowed to say this? There was a whole other template. <laughs> You're allowed to say No censorship that here. Was, <laughs> that was not what you saw. They wanted hashtag Black Lives Matter 
and a good like size 14 aerial font on the back. Oh, no, right it was, no, it was on the upper back. Oh, the, the third, the third. That one. was the yeah, third yeah, one yeah, yeah. on the upper back. <laughs> so if you had hair past here, you couldn't see it. And then they wanted like a whole bunch of words like respect, integrity, um, love, uh, like a whole a bunch of stuff. Cloud. Yeah, a word cloud like up in the front, and then. Bridget, we had to do like a two, like multiple, but like a two hour meeting. It was, we had three meetings yeah, for the shirts. Yeah, about three the meetings. shirts. And then we were just like, yeah, no, this is not happening. Like it would be like Bridget would talk and then I would talk and then I'd be like, well, like I'm not doing this. I remember I dropped the line. I was like, I'd rather pay $40 for a t-shirt than get this one for free and everywhere. Like I'm not wearing this t-shirt. Um, and I think that's when they started to realize, like, okay, like, they're actually, like, kind of serious about this. Um, and so I think it just goes to, like, it was just a wearing down process. Sure. And everything about you, Ottawa, is very reactive. Mm -hmm. It's very, yeah, like, so. oh, this team did this, so, like, oh, we should do this. This university did this, so, like, so we oh, we have it. to make a post. Yeah. And then they'll, like, text you or, like, email you and be like, hey, can you, like, quickly draft up a post so that we can do this? And then post it like four days later is when the whole conversation it's has over. completely changed and like we've moved on to something else. I mean, I can especially talk to that for the drafting of the call to action because that's <laughs> essentially mostly my writing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> actually, I slaved onto that call to action. But because we decided. Initially, we were going to have all the organizations who signed on and individually have our call to actions, but then we had discussions and we realized we're asking for the same thing. And so it would be more powerful to have one voice, one statement, and then we all sign on to it. Um, the problem with that is that some of the organizations there were, example, the student union at UO, mm -hmm. and everything that they co-sign, they have to run through admin. Mm -hmm. And it was just so slow. It was to a point where I remember saying this to the president and I'm like, hey, um, so what if I just post it? And <laughs> we just remove their logo. And if they want to sign on later, they can sign on later. Because uh, at this point, we're going to miss the train. Like, mm -hmm. we're going to miss our chance to outwardly call out the university, to have all our things implemented, to get our say out, our official statement on this needs to come out as soon as possible. Um, and the girls were like, yeah, I mean, if we just take out their logo, we'll run it through another round of approvals. Somehow, I'm, I'm not sure of this, I can't confirm, but I think someone at the student union just decided to approve. Like, I'm not sure he actually finished the admin thing because we were given told that it would take a week to get their approvals. Mm -hmm. And then after we sent out that email saying, hey, we're gonna post it on this day, confirm us by sending your logos if you want it, um, they sent us their logo. So we put it on. So I'm not I'm not so sure if like that was a full admin approval mm -hmm. and I don't wanna give credit to you, Ottawa, if they don't deserve it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so like in the end, it was again, that whole idea that they want us to miss the moment. Mm -hmm. And I remember that it wasn't the only N-word incident happening at the time. It was Western U had one at the same time. Um, what's crazy about this incident is that 
specifically you Ottawa's went all the way to a discussion in the Quebec yes. Parliament, yes. <laughs> which was like, mais voyons donc. <laughs> If you look at the list of prof, also most and like I think for me, what was jarring was seeing a biology prof on that list. When would you need to use that word? For me, and this is a prof that was <laughs> very well respected. Yeah. Among right. students, I remember him being told, like people telling me that he's the best, you should want to have him. I will caveat that the people who have been telling, who told me that were white. Okay. Um, and since then, since he retired, um, a lot of the people I've talked to who are racialized have said like he's always been problematic. Uh, there was an incident where in a biology class he had an entire section on why religion and science shouldn't coexist. Like, if you believe okay. in religion, like, you're dumb. <laughs> and for me, that was, like, learning about that after he had retired, it was like, okay, like, these are clearly the kind of people who signed on to this. And uh, the semester afterwards, when I was making my class list, I had to double check uh, between who's signed on to this list and who are my potential profs. Yeah. Right, because I was taking classes in French, a big section of the profs who signed on were Francophone. Um, so it was a big intersection of, hey, more things that we need to think about as students that other folks don't necessarily have to. But that like hinders your course code. Imagine yeah. you're like, I need That's these prereqs, but I don't want that. I, don't want I know this prof yeah. is physically against yeah. me yeah that's, that's all the things that goes back to what we were saying earlier all the things that we have to consider as black students that other students have the luxury of not even thinking about yeah. Yeah. i mean uh one thing was raised is the big bureaucracy type thing is where a lot of decisions and announcements and releases take a long time to actually go through the entire approval process and be released And part of that discussion, and I think we'll end on this. Um, I've really enjoyed this discussion, by the way, guys. Like, it's really made me happy. Um, part of that discussion is, is representation. I mean, I think a lot of the reason that in big bureaucracies like U Ottawa, where it has to go through so many levels of approval is, okay, who do we have at those levels of approval? Yeah. If there's not one black man or one black woman or one, even just like any other race in white and senior in age usually um Sorry. well <laughs> can we call her <laughs> she's right knocking on the door of senior um, <laughs> so yeah it's like it's like if if the people that we have making these decisions and approving these messages don't look like us or not even remotely you know what i'm saying haven't shared some of the experiences that we've shared then it loses its urgency what urgency does a old white man have to release a statement on a black issue you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. so it's like it's, it's a, a discussion that's very deep and i think oh my gosh i wish we had more time i wish we had more time because i feel like we're just really scraping uh scratch yeah. mm -hmm. the word scratching, scratching the surface. surface um looking at the tip of the iceberg there's really a, a large some massive ice below the surface Clock ticking. I'm just saying things. Um, but yeah, man. Like, okay. So we'll get last thoughts on that. Not having representation. Um, what does that do for us as black students? What does it do for processes like this? What does it do for white students? Not having black representation in higher levels of administration or at the professor level or 
whatever it is. I think it does nothing. Well, not nothing for black students, but it's, it's we will get nothing from this. Mm -hmm. Like we won't, we won't get help. It's always going to be pushed to the side. We can, we, it's always like that. We're never going to get what we want. We're never going to get change if we don't have people that look like us or uh, at the top. And unfortunately, it's sometimes it's a hard reality to just yeah. come to terms with. Even mm -hmm. if we, as much as we fight, as much as we get together, if there's no one that looks like us at the top, how are we going to get change? That's I mean, bar. fundamentally, yeah. that was a big point in the call to action was increased diversity in higher levels of admin. Um, and to say that that wasn't included in any of the reports that you Ottawa made is just clear that there's also no one in higher admin who wants to take up uh, the idea of, of, I think we talk about black professors a lot, but I think we need to also think about black administrators mm -hmm. as being equally as important because uh, personally, my father's a professor at a university. Um, he's black. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, he can only do so much as being mm -hmm. the first line of representation. Yeah. Uh, but if there's, it's the system that needs to change and who runs the system is admin. Yeah. Um, they do a lot behind the scenes. We don't get to see them, but their effects on your education are paramount. Yeah. And if we have no one in, in those higher levels of admin who can advocate for us, who can listen to our pleas, um, then sadly, uh, we don't get anything done. Yeah. I think, um, so sad to end this episode but we're gonna end it there guys <laughs> what? we actually have to round of no, applause we actually have to guys wait can i can i say can we even say like final thoughts and then we can like edit okay final thoughts, final thoughts from you too cal do you have a final thought oh yeah cal yeah. yeah you look like you have a final thought I was joking. We weren't actually gonna end it. Okay. Like, okay, Part two. Yeah, I, have I have something I want to say. No. Okay. Oh, thank you. Okay. Oh, we're on the table, guys. No. Yeah, quickly. Take all the time you need. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> I will say sorry. One quick thing for Daniel. It doesn't Lips. have to be quick. Okay. okay. Um, one thing I will say about like black representation and in administration, and as professors, I think the university takes that and then puts an. Um, like an added workload onto them. Like this is yes. not Callie's job. Mm. Callie's job is to make the women's volleyball team fantastic. That's like, that's her job. And then now she works as a prof. So her job is to work with her classroom. Okay. This is everything that she does like on her free time and I like the goodness of her heart. Stefan has a whole other job. <laughs> like, like now it's kind of like merged together, but like Stefan, a lot of the things that he was doing at the beginning were out of, again, like the goodness of his heart. And then if we had more time, I'd ask you your thoughts on the program that they decided to do with Professor Ballou. Um, and that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that so tremendously. Uh, crazy. Yeah. I was going to ask you your thoughts about that. Where but did you know? Africa. <laughs> yeah. That man left the country. <laughs> No, but um, yeah, like he is like a, he's a, the only black professor in the Faculty of Arts um, and he was given this role plus his heart that he has no qualifications for. Mm -hmm. um, so I find that like once they have that little bit of representation, they just try to exploit them for all they've yeah. got. Um, 
But as you were saying, Bridget, like it's important to have black professors and black administration administrators at the top, but it's more important to have black administrators that actually want yes. what you want. Yeah. Yes. Because there can be as many black administrators as they want, but if they don't want to do anything for the black population below and for the students, like that's the problem. Yeah. So it's finding people who understand that their role as administrators, especially in academia, is for the betterment of the students and not just to be running a school because ultimately schools need students to run. Yeah. That like Bulu's anti-racism office was like the saddest thing for me. Mm -hmm. um, why? Because ah, it was kind of giving me hope that all my volunteer work, like there, it would provide like some kind of turnover for years to come so that athletes, students on campus, like they finally had a place to go where people would see them face to face and like take in uh, any kind of issues, criticisms. Um, it, it was, it would have been a space for like additional commentary, like ambitions, what they wanted to see in the university. And yeah, like we're trying to produce that amongst our, what we can control. So our black student athletes. Um, but I'm, I'm terrified that like, if, if I leave or if, Stefan leaves or if you know you guys it doesn't turn over like mm -hmm. where do we go like where does all our efforts go I'm, I'm, I'm never gonna get paid for what I do with you guys I, I never did it for that anyways um, but I was really 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 hoping that there would at least be a space with someone qualified to do it because yeah. I, I wouldn't even say I'm qualified like yeah Again, my job is to coach. Um, I'm three weeks into being a part-time prof. I'm trying to like be as cool as I can with the kids. <laughs> um, uh, but again, like it also stems in admin, like HR, who's who are hi who are hiring these people. Mm -hmm. The person who hired me is a, a Quebecer white woman who was like, oh, well, like volleyball is fun, <laughs> <laughs> and then the resources weren't. Like the resources that they promised me weren't there, so now I gotta tell my class, oh sorry, the resources at UOttawa are slim. Now they're looking at me like, oh, well, that $1,000 that I'm paying for my class per semester yeah. is cut in half. I'm like, sorry, like I'm the face yeah. of that mistake. Mm. Um, but again, the other side is like, in my five years here, I'd never seen a black female or biracial female teach any course I had one two black professors um and that that was it so I'm like hey at least like here's someone that I can speak directly my mind to I can t tell them that like a sport that is really not so diverse I can teach um and be the face of that for them yeah. and say hey oh I learned from you Ottawa and, and from Prof Soro about how to coach Professor volleyball. Soro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. Like a seasonal Stop plan. Playing. My exams are coming up soon. Oh. I'm excited for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, like little wins are always good for the soul. Yeah. I find like as much as harm that they've done, like to be also known in recruiting across Canada. Like, oh, you guys are 
predominantly black school. Like I heard another coach yeah. say, "Hey, you're woke if you kind of go to U Ottawa, York." <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, 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 and I'm like, it's because of all the individuals that have put in that free time and the sleepless nights in the last two years that have made yeah. it that way. And like, I don't want to end this on a negative note um, because there are a lot of organizations on campus that are doing a lot of really great work and that I think will keep doing great work whether or not that gets recognized. At least uh, the student body gets to feel it. A special shout out to the VTrack lab that started recently. Oh, yeah. um, those folks are doing so much great work. Um, actually, my first black professor <laughs> was from the VTrack lab. So it was really important for me to also shout out that there's other organizations that are getting paid for their work that have pulled themselves by their bootstraps, even though they shouldn't have to, um, and are carving up space in this university. And um, I mean, it's important for us, especially in Canada, uh, to have that sort of space because we don't have HBCUs here. Mm -hmm. um, so we. I wish we did. We could be the first one. Ottawa. Maybe I'll tweet it. You you know, yeah. to on Twitter <laughs> becomes real. Right now, start out with and So, just a reminder you're black and you're in academia. You deserve to be there. You earned your spot. Take up space. And hey, if you have some free time, volunteer for a black organization and make the space better for people who are coming after you. Big facts. Okay, we've reached our natural end. <laughs> <laughs> round of applause, y'all. I mean, that's a great conversation. Honestly, I mean, I was looking forward to this the whole week, like I said, and it really it really uh, lived up to the billing, uh, for sure. I'm, I'm really glad we had this conversation. Uh, so just to wrap up, man, we talked about a lot of things talked about a lot of things. Being black in academia is obviously a roller coaster at times. I mean, sometimes it's, you're on top of the world. Sometimes you might feel like you're in a valley and it's never gonna end. Um, but I mean, we're here. I mean, that's the big, that's the big thing. We're here, we're taking up space, uh, we're succeeding. I mean, everyone here is successful beyond what we could even talk about. There's, I mean, so much success in this room and uh, so much success in this city. Uh, that is worth being celebrated for sure. So being black in academia, I mean, it might not be the best all the time, but it's definitely worth celebrating. That's one thing we should take away from this. It's worth celebrating and it's worth doing the work. So, I mean, I'm proud of all of us for continuing to do the work. Onto the shout out section. Shout out BSLA for being here and for doing so much great work uh, in, in U Ottawa and in the city at large. Shout out Cali, man. Yeah. Are you crazy? A black <laughs> professor, she deserves so much credit. It was the last place that I, I was not on the 34 list of professors. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't sign the position. No. I also never thought I'd be a, a prop. I was a total B student and academia was the last place yeah. that I thought I'd be. So pretty cool. It's possible. Yeah. 360. Yeah. She's possible. Uh, representing us at the level where we need to be represented. Shout out Bridget and Kennedy Ooh. for being here. Shout out all of BSAC. I'll shout all of BSAC out through them. I mean, we're doing a lot of a lot of great things. Shout out to Stefan. Shout out BIA Media again. Are you crazy? BIA Media. I mean, the man behind the camera, behind the laptop, doing all the work. Shout out him. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Destin. Yes. Shout out Destin. Destin. She's a big, big help. Big help. And she's part of the 
we're talking about representing in administration and things like that, she should get a super mega raise and a <laughs> mega promotion <laughs> to, straight to the top. You know what I'm saying? So shout out to Destin. Man, so with that, we'll wrap it up, man. I'm really glad we got to do this. And we got a lot of more great things coming up for you throughout this month. So as it goes, remain black, remain beautiful. See y'all next week. Woo! 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 Woo!